0: Store in me the joy of your salvation, the song said. Hey, do we want to be a joyful church? That's obeying a commandment. I hope we have great joy today, uh, because that's the grand theme of this whole epistle. Hope we have joy every day. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. Paul is rejoicing. Paul rejoicing because of the work that God is doing in these Christians at Philippi. What a work he's been doing. And uh, where we're going to be at today is following off the heels of verse 6 as we move from verse 7 to 11. Verse 6, I am confident of this very thing. right? I am confident, Paul says, that he who began that good work in you is faithful to complete it. Uh, he uh, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a perfect work of God, and He's doing it now, and He will continue it, and until our glorification. That's a guarantee. I mean, Paul was so sure of that. And so, right after that, why wouldn't he say, "I," um, as I as He's going to be praying for them? It's only right for me to feel this way. And uh, so that idea of joy continues on. Um, that right there should make us just shout for joy to know what God is doing, doesn't it? I mean, it explains what's going on in our life and it'll come to a perfect culmination. Um, Whether I'm filled with the Spirit or whether I feel like a failure today, no matter how I'm doing in my walk at this moment in time, the fact is is that God is going to finish this work. And if we would look at the church for what it's going to be rather than what it is right now, we'd be much better off. Because this, this is going to be a perfect bride that He will bring. Um, and if we look at really what's going to happen, it won't rob us of our joy. So often we get robbed of our joy because we start thinking and dwelling upon the things that uh, really don't really amount to anything. Um, the things in this world, they're all going to burn up anyway. But let's keep looking for what's uh, what's going to happen. I hope that brings you great joy. That's that's what Paul is saying all through here. If you take a sculptor and he looks at this rock that he's going to shape into something beautiful, a big slab of rock that looks like nothing to the ordinary person, and yet this sculptor is seeing what is going to happen with this. He sees with his eyes, mental eyes, that this is going to be a beautiful sculpture. That's what God is, is doing. We can't see all that beauty, you know, that, uh, that God is happening and doing with. But this is God's plan. And so he, he sees it. He knows it. And He can say, well, how can I ever be perfect? Man, you don't know the way that I am. Or, or when we look at other believers, you know, it's hard to imagine sometimes that they're going to be perfect. And God is perfecting me now. And, and then we can say, well, look at the failure that I am today. Look at the failure I was yesterday. I committed failures this week. Sin was in my life. But we want ourselves to see from the perspective of God also. and But God's perspective is where everything is headed. And uh, that's good to know. What He's going to make you be. And that just changes everything, doesn't it? just changes everything when we uh, look at uh, maybe all the things in our lives that we're struggling with now Paul experienced this tremendous joy he knew what it was like to have this constantly and we knew uh, and have always known that Paul went through tremendous struggles and as he's writing this we know he's in jail but he is relating his affection for these Philippian believers And His joy is just moved by deep, deep love for them. I mean, real, God kind of love. And He says, I can speak so confidently of you because I've been an eyewitness of what God has done in you. He gave you faith to start with. And as a result of this faith, as He's worked in you, you've become obedient. and becoming even more obedient. You're putting on display the glory of God. So he's so confident in these Philippian believers. Let's, uh, stand and let's, uh, turn to our Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 1 verse 7 through 11. That's our text for the day. That your love may bound, as Paul is saying. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and may we be able to heed to it as Paul writes this encouraging thought that he has and uh, expressing his love for the people. Uh, from a pastor's position. And may I be able to bring forth that truth uh, that Paul had for them and also for myself for this body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And right off the bat in verse 7 after he said, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And now he says, for it is only right for me to feel this way. It's only right. Uh, morally right. Uh, It could be right before God. Uh, It's more than uh, just appropriate. This is an appropriate thing to do. That is right. But it's more than that. It's a required thing that He should have. He should have this. It's only right. This is the way it's supposed to be. I should be feeling this way for you guys. Um, This is the way that we all ought to feel for each other. Right? Um, It's only right to feel this way. It's only right to feel, verse 3, thankful. I thank my God for all my remembrance of you. It's only right to feel joyful, always offering prayer with joy in my prayer for you all, in verse 4. And then in verse 6, being confident of what God is doing. So, it's only right to feel this way about you because of this. Now, the the next word here, it's only right. This is uh, appropriate, not only appropriate, but this is something we all should be doing. For me to feel this way. Now, the uh, feelings come into play here, but it's more than a feeling. Ah, remember that song by Boston? (laughs) More than a feeling. Uh, It goes far beyond that. This word here is froneo. And it's not so much of an emotional feeling here. Paul was starting with froneo, which is right here. It's the mind. It's your thinking. That's where this all starts. The emotions really do matter, but we're talking about the disposition of the mind. We're talking an attitude, an action of the intellect that touches the feelings. So if your mind is thinking right, then your emotions will come in there uh, and, and do what they're supposed to do. But it starts with the mind. He has a concern. He doesn't say here the affections start at the heart, but it's where the mind is. Uh, He is not basing this affection upon some feeling. He says, it's right for me to think this way about you all. It's right for me to have this attitude about you all, this concern. So he starts with the mind, comes first and foremost from the the thinking of the mind, and then it will relate to the heart. It's right for me to think of this way about you. Now, we have to be careful, though. We can just be all intellect. We can be all mind and we'll be unbalanced. And we know the Scripture is dealing with balance constantly. And and as we go through the text here, the rest of this, we'll see how the mind and the thinking then uh, goes in uh, and plays a part with the the feeling. Uh, If we don't have a feeling kind of love as Christians, then... The emotional element is stolen and we have to have feelings towards God. We have to have feelings towards our brothers and sisters. Um, but if we become feeling less, what, what is it? It's cold, uh, It becomes cold and sterile. Uh, we have to notice that the, where the feelings come from. The feelings come from what we have thought about. If we read Scripture and we see a holy... Majestic, supreme God, and we see the awesomeness of His Majesty. Then we start having the emotions for this God. Wow, what a God! And we, when we put it together, who He really is, we could think that God is just an all-loving God and just be caught up into that. But we first think about what does Scripture say? Yeah, He is a loving God. What? What about all this other stuff that comes into play? And then we realize that. Um, it, it's more than just emotion, but it's more than just uh, thinking. Love is not a feeling. Love begins in the mind. There was a song by Don Francisco. Some of you might remember that song. Do you remember that? Love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will, is the, is the thought there. Um, the source of love. The source of love begins in the mind. We contemplate. We meditate upon that. And then out of that comes the rejoicing. And then it makes that affection just well up within the hearts. And you can't help then but rejoice when you start thinking on on Him. Now, you, you have another key word that pops up, and it's heart. It's right for me to feel this way or think this way about you all because I have you in my heart. And what does he mean by that? I have you in my heart. By the way, the word there is kind of interesting, cardia, in the Greek. And that's not too far from our um, English word, is it? You think of heart, don't you? Cardio. Cardia. Well, I have uh, some capsules I take that are called cardio balance. And um, it keeps the blood flow going and everything happening for the heart. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, that's the heart uh, well, what is Paul saying here? I have you in my heart. Valentine's Day coming up and everything. you start seeing the, the hearts and the valentines, right? <laughs> and uh Paul's not talking about that. Um, they are in his mind. But they now have moved from his mind to his cardia or heart. And I might ask you a question. Do you have... God in your heart? Do you have your other brothers and sisters in Christ in your heart? Do you have them there? Now you might have them in your mind. You might be thinking about them and and as a matter of fact, as you take them before the throne of God and you pray for them. We intercede for each other, right? That's what a church does. So we have them in our minds. Yeah, I've been thinking about you. Yeah, I've been praying about you. But another one takes us from the mind to the heart. I have you in my heart. There's a different thing there. It's an 18-inch journey from your mind to your heart. So it takes it a little bit further. It's quite a distance. matter of fact, it's maybe the longest journey in the universe, these 18 inches, because we want to take people not only what we think about them, but we want them right here. Not just filling our minds with knowledge here, but we should have the knowledge about other people just seeping into our hearts. Now that's a a God kind of love. Paul can't hide that love as he says this. Hey, uh, here's what I'm thinking, uh, I'm feeling about you and and I have you in my heart as I think about you. He's overflowing. The joy is just bubbling from his mind to his heart and out of his heart and he says, I can't help but tell you, man, you guys, look what God is doing in you and I'm so thankful for you and and I, I love you from my heart. This is the inner person. The heart. The depth of the inner person. It's not one of those kind of things, hey, I'll be praying for you. And I'm praying for you. And that's great. Hey, I'm thinking about you. And that's really good to know. But when somebody actually says, you are really in my heart, I really mean it. I am, I am really serious. This, this heart here, this cardia, is dealing with the seat of the affections. This is where the affections come from. It's the real guts of our personality, if I can say that. Down deep. Down in the bowels even. um, The depth of this inner person. Uh, And you can have this kind of feelings based upon what you have thought and known who people are in the Lord and how dear they are. And, And you may not see them for long periods of time. I mean, you might be separated by a distance of many, many hundreds of miles, thousands of miles. You don't see them maybe every day. You don't talk to them maybe every day. Or you might. You, know, you, got, you have Skype these days and you can see people hundreds of miles away. You can talk to your family and everything. That's great, isn't it? But if you really have that kind of love, affection, you carry them in your heart. They're tied to you. They're connected to you. They're really important. So that's why Paul says, you're deep in my being. I hold you in my very deep interstices of my house, of my heart right here. So, I have you in my heart. That's quite a statement that Paul makes. I think today sometimes we're kind of afraid to uh, mention those kind of things because it almost sounds like we're weak. But if you look at what Paul is saying, and then uh, shortly he's, he's going to be talking about the affections of Christ. We don't really want to say too many things like this, but Paul did. I think it is the natural way, if he really meant it, uh, it's a good thing to be doing. It goes against our grain sometimes. He goes on. He says... Um, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. This is why He has them so deep in His heart. Because they are partakers of grace. And when you think about God's grace, first you think about your own salvation and how He graced you. He gifted you with salvation. And it it makes you really start boiling over, bubbling over with joy, doesn't it? Oh, wow, this is amazing. It's kind of amazing. We, we never forget that. And then we start thinking about the other people. It's happened to them too. And we have this kind of bond, this kind of fellowship, and they're partakers of grace. So they had this kind of thing in their lives also. And they were koinonia. Uh, there's a root word here in this word, partakers of grace, You see the word partakers? Koinonia is a part of that, that word, that compound word. And he's saying, you're partners with me. You're partners in this gospel. If we're Christians, we all are partners. And you think of business partners. You know, that's a pretty cool thing. You can be partners in a lot of different things, but there is nothing on earth like right what we have even right here, being partners in Christ And the gospel of grace. Can you think of anything higher than that? It's eternal. Because this is is actually going to last forever. This partnership we have. It will never dissolve. It will never break off. It only gets better because Christ is in us. He is what is holding us together. So he says, in my imprisonment, you are partakers of the gospel. In my imprisonment, he, he was in jail. He is writing this letter. And uh, we know, we've said this before, but Epaphroditus was sent from the Philippians to Paul and they had a gift for him and Epaphroditus brought it. What a dear brother in the Lord Epaphroditus is. Incredible. I mean, he would work to the point of death. He was like Paul. And uh, here he is coming with this collection and he says, You're in my heart. I have a place in my heart for you. This is unbelievable. You're doing this. These are the kind of things you can say, boy, I wish I had that kind of affections and love. Well, that's where we're headed. You say, well, I'm not on the level of Paul. Well, we can be though, can't we? That's where we're headed. We're going that way. If we spend time in the Word here and and desire to let God keep changing us. He's a human like us. Uh, Anyway, the, the next word there, imprisonment both in my imprisonment so you have both you have one there's imprisonment what's the other? well it's the defense defense and confirmation of the gospel um, you might have heard of the word defense we've talked about it before it's uh, apologia that word is related into that word there defense defense of, of the gospel now, that can be a couple of things uh, and it doesn't matter a whole lot it can be either way uh, one and since he's going to be going to court and while he's imprisoned here he will go to court and uh... He wants to give a defense of the gospel there and and to confirm it there. Or uh, they're talking about as they go out and give the defense, the apologia, the defense, defending of the gospel, confirming that to uh, lost people. They're sharing in that, aren't they? What a thing we have to share in. Uh, Those are legal terms and they're associated with really the furtherance of the gospel. That's what we're about. We're here to glorify God most above all things, but yet we also have this treasure of the Word as we grow and glorify God, His supremacy. We also are taking this precious gospel, this treasure, out to the lost. We partake in that. We want to further the kingdom, don't we? So in verse 8, we get the expression of His affection here. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, he's already stated what he has on the inside of him as he has them in, their, uh, in, in, in his heart. What affection that he has. You can just be amazed by this. This is supernatural. And yet he goes on and he calls on God as his witness to attest to what he is saying is true. He said, I'm going to go to the highest court of all, and I'm going to tell you how I'm really feeling. This is not something that's just coming out saying to make you feel good. I don't really feel that way, but I'm going to say it because it's nice. <laughs> you know, we've been we've been guilty of that. But I'd much rather at least say that and be encouraging, maybe not feeling it, but saying I know that's the right thing to do, and I'm going to tell that to them because it can encourage them. But deep down, it's not really there. But maybe it will be. It's still good to do that. You can say, well, I feel like a hypocrite. Well, do that rather than think bad things about know, And maybe that hypocrisy will start sliding off and and truth will will, uh, prevail. But he says, I'm telling you about this truthfulness. This is really in my heart, folks. And I'm, I'm calling on God to come right into court here and to attest to this. All right? He says, how I long for you all. This is a whole church. I yearn for you all. Now, he uses something that is really hard to imagine. With the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the kind of affection that I have for you. He could have stopped where he was at. But the affection of Christ Jesus? Come on, Paul. You you can't have the same kind of heart that, that Jesus had. Well, if you're filled with God's Spirit, if you're filled with the Word of God, if you have Christ residing in your heart, you can have that heart also. I think this is something. You can say, well, we can look back and say, hey, that's pretty cool what Paul said to these Philippians. But what is this meaning to us? Is this something that can happen to us? Or are we already doing it, right? In some way, we probably are. We want to get better at it, right? He wants the heart of Christ. I think he has it. This word affection is kind of interesting. It's, uh, I can't even say it right, but it's Splunk name. I'm not going to say it again. But it's the inner parts of the body. It's where the emotions are felt deep down in your being. And I'm going to get real graphic. It's the bowels is where this is at. The affections that come from that. We're talking about a very compassionate love that Paul has for all the body of Christ. Right here in Philippi. It's the strongest word in the Greek language to show what compassionate love was about. When they really wanted to express, the Greeks, when they wanted to express what their love was for somebody, they would say, listen to this, I love you with all my bows." Now, try writing that on a Hallmark card the next time you send it out. Or a Dayspring card. Dayspring's owned by Hallmark. We don't have too many Dayspring cards left. You better come in. <laughs> Advertisement in church is terrible. Sorry. Uh, a lexicon says this it's it has to do with the inner parts soft parts of the body where the emotions were felt this part of the body is where all your internal organs are it reacts to your emotions you get highly emotional Sometimes high emotional, with your and your lungs start to react. You get excited, and your lungs start to react to something. You get short of what? Breath. Have you ever been short of breath when you've been awed or amazed by something, or or actually you, you hear something not too favorable, and you start losing your breath? You better sit down, right? Somebody says, "I have got something to tell you." Could be good or bad, right? But but you get short of breath. Well, that's one part, right? It's affected your lungs. Um, you get involved in your emotions whenever your sometimes your heart begins to beat faster, right? You ever uh, uh, do you remember test? Julia takes tests all the time, about every day, every night, and I got a feeling her heart gets beating really fast sometimes, especially when she runs across, across a question that she didn't expect to be there, <laughs> yeah. or somebody calls on you to do something right now at that immediate and your heart starts beating. Uh, or uh, somebody looks at their first time they've fallen in love, or or they're in love with a person, and, and uh, their heart begins to beat. <laughs> All right? You go through some kind of stress. Ah, boy, we can identify with this. I can identify with this in the last few couple of months. It, it gets. Get you down in the stomach. You don't want it there. You hate it. Why is that there? You you get tied up in knots in the stomach wondering what's going to happen. It happens. It's part of the feelings. It's part of the emotions. But yet you still have to be thinking on what is true and who God is and His great sovereignty and His great plan and what it is overall. But at the same time, there are things we go through, we experience. It can affect our heart, our lungs, our stomach. Your stomach starts sending up signals. You know? gets tight. It has a way to react to deep yearnings. You see what I mean? This goes down to the bowels. I mean, this is really defining it. You've been there. Every one of us have been there. We've seen how even our emotions affect the rest of of those vital parts. And that's the kind of expression that Paul has for the Philippian believers. This is a good thing. Splunk name. I said it. Okay, It's a supernatural love. This is the kind of love that nobody here can work up on their own. It doesn't come from the flesh. It all comes from God. It's enhanced. It's enriched by the warm affections, a kind, compassionate case and care that Paul had for these individuals that he was writing to. Man, this is real, 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 real. This is the heart of Christ. This is the kind of compassionate love that He has for us. Paul was touched deeply for these people. How else can we express it? I hope I've made it graphic enough. Pretty graphic, isn't it? That's the kind of language that Paul is using here as he uses this Greek language. They would have identified with that. 2,000 years, we're removed from that. If we uh, don't always pick up our Greek text, which most of us say, "What? what are you talking about? Greek text, not demanding that you do that, but to realize how deep this really is is incredible. And you can say, well, that was Paul. That's not me. Well, that's where we're supposed to be heading in that direction. And we can be. It's a good thing, isn't it? Now we go to part two. And this is his prayer for the believers. We've seen his feelings here, haven't we? We've seen his his thinking. It is a right thinking what an example of affection. Would you say that's an example of affection to other believers? When he's an example, he's saying you be like this too. Hey, the church in Jeff City, two thousand years from now, Paul says, You guys be like this too. That Grace Community Church, you be like that. Boy, if we were all like that, can you imagine the fire that can work in it? And you know what? It's happening. God is doing a work here, folks. He really is. I'm telling you, it's supernatural. He's doing some things. Be caught up in it. Keep rejoicing about it because uh, in the time that we're living in, people need our joy. They need our compassionate love because I'll tell you what, there are going to be people losing jobs, losing their homes. Uh, Who knows all the different things that can happen in the world that we live in now? People can be losing their families because they uh, now don't have their money. There's going to be people with a lot of questions and we have the answers. Be ready. Not only be ready, it's happening now. They're out there. Now he prays for the believers. Verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. The deepest longings of your heart are going to come out where? In your prayers. You may not really be telling people that, but you're praying for them in that sense. If you look at your prayers and they're all about you, and they're all about your needs and your cares and your problems and your questions and your struggles, then that's where your heart is. Sorry. (laughs) I'm not sorry. (laughs) I'm just trying to be kind. (laughs) That's what we tend to do. We tend to make our prayers all about us and we are to be praying for ourselves. I'm not saying don't be praying for yourselves. But you know where things can start turning around? All of a sudden, it's not about us. Matter of fact, you start thinking about that Louis Giglio video about the great universe that's out there, and then what's on the inside of us. You start thinking about all that, but you you know, you look out there how big and vast it is. It's more than just about me. This thing is not about me at all. It's not me, although we can say, "Lord, what am I that you would even be thinking about me? all this, right? But man, if we would put our attention on others, we wouldn't have such a cold heart. We would have a compulsion to pray for others. That's what Paul did. What he's doing, he's praying for spiritual progress. That it would progress. That it would build up more. And that's what pastors should do. And this, I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. This is what Paul's a pastor to these guys. I mean, he, you know, he, he has that for all the ones that uh, he knew. He wrote to, place for spiritual growth. And I can think of Second Peter three eighteen, a grace, great verse for that. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge. Christ. Ephesians 1.15 Just uh, one book before Philippians. 1.15 says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. I know about your faith and I know about your love. He wants them to build on it even more. So I have love. Well, desire more love. That it would abound, that it would just keep abounding and abounding, jumping higher and higher and higher, you know, going higher. That's what Paul wanted because he knew that we hadn't reached it yet. We haven't attained to that goal, have we? Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 16, another great prayer that he had for these Ephesians. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell, make Himself at home in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints, with the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. We want to have that love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the affections of Christ. Wow. When we have His power and all the riches of His glory, then this love starts showing out even more. Uh, Colossians, the next book from Philippians, chapter 1, verse 10, another great prayer that Paul had. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously. Oh my! <laughs> Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We share in the inheritance. How close we really are to each other is incredible. Sometimes we don't think of it that way, but that's where God has put us. A divine love. It's an action. Uh, being concerned about other people um, that 's a hard one for people to swallow it 's not natural to love other people, yeah, I have a family and uh, you know people we know real well, but other people, yeah, even though in the church i don 't know them very well, so you know i don 't have to have that kind of love for them, or you know forgiving people and first uh, peter four eight says, and above all things, above all things, have fervent love fervent you know what fervent love is. It's like a runner in a race. And man, he has ran, uh, how about the 400 meters? And he's ran, and he's right at the end, and he's along with about three other guys and they're neck and neck, and he stretches out as much as he possibly can. Stretching out to the final string there as he it as he goes through. He stretches out every muscle to get out everything that he can, and he says that's the kind of love that we're to have—a fervent love. Boy, that's demanding. <laughs> Peter really demanded something there as he was guided by God in the Spirit. First um, 1 Peter one twenty two says, "Love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins." Now, what Paul is saying in this context. Is he puts love with knowledge? You notice in the other prayers, was it the same thing? It's not some kind of a good feeling kind of love for people, it's a godly kind of love that's based on knowledge and discernment. The two go hand in hand. Love without knowledge is no good, knowledge without love is no good. It's not balanced. We must have both. It's a true knowledge of God here. That's what Paul wants. Still, more and more in real knowledge. Real knowledge. Anyone who claims to love, but he doesn't do it in accordance with knowledge, he's not really loving as a Christian loves. It's based upon knowledge. Discernment. Paul is praying for the Philippians and for me and you right here today that we cultivate good judgment good discretion it's not love that just overlooks the sinfulness of someone who continues in in a sin that is affronting God's holiness that's not love love says okay this person needs somebody to come alongside them and um, build them up Also to say, hey, listen, that is not honoring God. And so that's the kind of discernment that that, uh, He wants them to have. It's a practical application of the deep knowledge coming in with all that kind of love. Oh, that God would give us a perception that He has Um, to love somebody intelligently, To, to know their needs, that's the kind of love. To, to know them so well that, hey, I see a need that they have. Nobody else knows it. That person isn't telling it. But here's what they need. It could be physical needs, spiritual needs, mental needs. Who knows? There could be a lot of things. But coming alongside there, recognizing that, and using discernment in that. Um, a potter makes a, a jar or a bowl a plate, a dish, some, something like that. As he as he does his pottery, and when he you know what he does is he bakes it, he puts fire to it. And anyway, sometimes some impurity could be in that clay that he's dealing with, or maybe because of the lack of uh, his perfection in in making that, uh, it has a little bitty crack, and. This cracked jar is now useless, isn't it? It's useless. You could take some hard wax, you cover it up, you fill that crack with wax. But what happens when um, you really put something in there, especially if it's uh, something warm? You use, you know, you want to coat that and paint it. But still, yet, if you go to a marketplace and uh, there's pottery there, one would take that and hold it up to light, sunlight hopefully. Sometimes in those dark alleys it's hard to see though. But if you have sunlight, you can take it up there. Oh, you can see through that painting that they had and that wax and you can see through it and say, there's a crack there. That thing is no good. I don't want that, right? He wants something that is that is made good. Um, so it is, its it's... There's a word here. Uh, I'm in verse 10. What we're doing is we're approving the things that are excellent. Um, testing money is, is something that we want to see. Um, you can see that in Scripture. Um, used of testing of even the quality of animals that they would have. They would test them. Uh, it's used uh, maybe even the, the state of the sky, how, how the weather is testing that out, looking, anal- analyzing the weather. So it has to do with testing, verifying, approving something. So verse 10 says, okay, this real knowledge this is discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you test it out. You uh, you focus your time and energy on what really matters. You test this out. What is excellent? You approve what is has been assayed, uh, that has been tested, that has been proved. You're doing this kind of testing to show that it it is real, it's uh, significant. Now this is a prayer for the mind here again. When he says that your love will abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. As Christians, if we're going to pursue what is excellent, that's what we want to do, right? A pursuit of excellence, We have to have our minds, listen to this, over our moods. We have to have the right kind of thinking. Don't let your moods, your emotion, whether it be anxiety or whatever it is, don't let that rule your actions, your will. Go back to Scripture, see who God is, what His promises are, what He is about. Let that come in to our thinking. It should pervade our thinking and then when the emotions come in, we put them into the right place. He's praying that they would have their mind over their moods. You can't be a victim of your emotions. If you let your emotions take you as a victim, you're not going to prove what is excellent. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Sincere and blameless here in verse 10. Um, And this is kind of relating again to that approving the things. It means to be genuine, without wax. In, In the Latin word, it means without wax. To be sincere. Without wax. Remember the pottery? They'd put the wax on there and then they'd paint it and nobody could really tell what it is unless they had it out and put it up to the light. Well, here, the English word sincere um, is talking about, you know, if you have a carpenter, he'll carve things out. And if there's a fault, if there's a flaw in what he makes, he would conceal it with wax. And when when the wax would harden, then he'd paint over and varnish it over. right? Or a sculptor. When he had sculpt out of the rock and might have a crack in there, he'd kind of take this wax. Had good skill with wax, but all he's doing is he's making this thing now um, fake. It's not sincere. It's not really real. There's something that's been added to it. So this sincerity is without faults. In order to be sincere, in order to be with, not a hypocrite, right? Without wax, without being a hypocrite, to be known on the outside for what you are on the inside. Don't you want to? If you have that right heart, then it will show on the outside. That's what we are. What we want. Blameless. The things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Blameless, this just means without sin. Well, we know we're going to sin. But what it's saying is it's not causing others to stumble. We we want to be sincere and we don't want to cause offense. We don't want an offense or somebody to um, stumble because we really are of our falseness. It never makes, uh, when we are genuine and we're blameless, we don't cause others to stumble. Uh, and all the way to the day of Christ, to that judgment seat of Christ, the day of Christ, when he comes back for us. We want to be sincere and blameless, even in this world right here. And then we move into verse 11. Well, this thing is just packed with stuff, isn't it? It's all related together, but it's really tight. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Which comes through Christ. The word there for fruit is karpas. Fruit. Or it's good works. It's produce. the results of production. If He's working in us, as verse 6 says, then there's going to be fruit that's coming out of us. And uh, many different times. Of course, you think of the, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's righteousness there. Um, Go into the Old Testament just for a moment. Proverbs chapter 11, verse
1: 30.
0: The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise wins souls. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. That's life. Righteousness it comes from Christ. Uh, it's a fruit. We're in Christ. We are righteous. We do have fruit. We want to bear fruit even more and more, right? So as we have this kind of fruit, of course, what Paul is exhibiting here, he was filled with fruit. You can see it all over the place. Man, the tree is just fruitful all the time. It just seems like all seasons. You can just go up there and just pick off a, you know, like. Love from that and joy, you know. There's the peace, and you know you just continue on. Look at that fruit that this call has, right? I'm sure that, uh, of course, we know that's where that's coming from. It's it's really Christ. Let's look at Amos chapter six, verse twelve. So Amos, Amos, where are you at? Well, you have Hosea, you have Joel, you have Amos. Amos actually has. A few chapters. We turn to six, verse twelve. Do horses run on rocks, or does one plow them with oxen? You have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. There, he's telling you had. Uh, you know, there's a fruit of righteousness. Look what you turned it into. It's useless. It's wormwood. Look what's happened. Wow. Go to James three eighteen, fruit of righteousness, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This fruit of righteousness—it's—it's it's good works. It's, it results from salvation, and when you have a a time of peace. Righteousness just flourishes. It just uh, takes completely over in a peaceful place. Like right here amongst God's people, there is peace here, peace we have in Christ. Because of that, peace results as fruit in our lives. Righteousness just dominates it can flourish here. Again. Ephesians chapter five verse nine. You have Christ; you have His righteousness. Ephesians five nine. For the fruit of the light, we are children of light, so we have fruit of this light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. You have Christ; you have all of that. Truth, truth. Ephesians two ten. Everybody knows that section talking about again good works for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in there he already had those prepared long before even before we were ever even born he had the works that we were going to do and in that as we obey him as we are led by his spirit as we obey righteousness exceeds forth from us we have the fruits of Of this, The fruit of righteous deeds. Righteous attitudes. So how does that fit into our Philippians thing? We've seen several different verses. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. As we're approving the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. All this He's working in us and we are just working it out. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of righteousness. Righteous deeds, righteous attitudes, righteous works. We're filled with that. If we have the Word of God, we're filled with the Word. We're filled with the Spirit. If we're filled with that, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. Do you feel like you're full of joy today? Right? You will have full of joy if you have the fruit of righteousness. So, how do you do that? We just look at the text that we've been dealing with. That your love would be abounding more and more, real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless unto the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. And here's where all of this goes. This is where it all aims at, and Paul gets it right again because he has the Holy Spirit on his side. <laughs> he's in Him, as he's been inspired by Him, which comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. That is the reason why we want to do any of this. For the glory of God. Doxa. That's the sum total of God's perfection. We started off with a doxology this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This joy, this righteousness this abounding love in real knowledge and discernment, this sincerity and blameless all those kind of works that God has put in us as we work it out, it's so God can be glorified even more. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. We're satisfied in Him because we're taking of His fruit. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Flowing from Him right on into our lives, faith is the channel that brings all of these blessings from God. It's the channel, the hose that it goes through. It's the He's the vine, we are the branches. The sap is just flowing right on into us, and we just work that out. You know, we are the lamp, and He's the light that flows into it. That electricity that goes there. So that God would be fully glorified, we are to bear fruit, and the fruit is the work of Christ. You remember Lawrence of Arabia? Remember the story of him? And he took um, a bunch of Arabs back to London, takes them brings them into a home, uh, actually a hotel. beautiful place in London. And of course, they come from the desert, they're Bedouins. And these Bedouins really have to work hard for getting water. We take it for granted here. We just turn on the faucet and boom, water comes out. We don't think a thing about it, right? Anyway, all all they had ever done was live in a tent. Here they are in this beautiful hotel. And the thing that fascinated them the most out of all this hotel were the faucets. They saw this faucet and they'd, they'd turn it. And water would just flow out of it. Well, they knew they were going back to the deserts and uh, what they did is they started packing their bags, whatever they had. Duffel bags, I don't know. They have that. On. Backpacks. <laughs> they started taking these. They got the faucets off. Put them in their bags. And anyway, when uh, when Lawrence comes in there and into the hotel room, he packs all the other guys up and they're getting ready to leave. And he starts noticing all the faucets and... And all the the room there was all all gone. It was unbelievable. You know, there it was. They thought the faucets had the water. And so when they get thirsty over there, they just turn the faucets on and they drink from Well I have to remind you, that's the way our spiritual lives are. We recognize that we're faucets. Those faucets in themselves really have nothing of value. That water, life does not come from that. It comes from Christ Himself. Unless you're connected to the pipeline, (laughs) that flow, then uh, you're not going to be turning on anything. That means absolutely nothing. No matter if you turn that faucet all all you want. Um, We as Christians are realizing that the power comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what He's saying here. All of this is coming through Jesus Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Having been filled, which comes through Jesus Christ. He is the life that's flowing there. So we have to realize that the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. It's not something I worked on. I did this. Hey, I went to church. Look at the fruit of righteousness I have today. Look at this. It's because I went there. Because I prayed. I I, I did this. I did that. Uh, He produces it. In you, Verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing that He who began a good work in you will perfect it. This gives all the glory to Him through our lives. All we are are just an instrument. So this sums it all up. God's glorified. This is the ultimate end of all things. There is no other better thing on earth, in the heavens, that God would get the glory. That's where it's all aimed to. What is the chief end of man? God is... The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Isn't that interesting? Enjoy Him. As you glorify Him, there's where you get your true joy. You're glorifying Him because of the work that's in you as you are letting it out and now you have joy. You so say, how can I get that joy? Glorify God. Don't glorify yourself or be seeking things that will please yourself and all the psychology the world has to offer. That's coming the backward way. No, you go to God first. You see His glory and you become enamored by the stupendous majesty of our great God. And then as a result of that, look what flows from that. It starts with God. Don't try to please yourself, but please God. Paul prayed it right. And we can pray this right too. Because if we do, it brings supreme glory to our great God. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason we're here for today. Let's pray.